and welcome to the JNMP podcast. My name is Elizabeth Hyten, and I'm joined today by Professor Bruce Taylor from the Menzies Institute for Medical Research from the University of Tasmania. And we're going to be talking about his new research paper in the JNMP, looking at role of genetic susceptibility variants in predicting the clinical course in multiple sclerosis. So Bruce, thank you very much for joining me today. Hello. Um, so my first question, I suppose, was about sort of theoretically, how can genetics potentially assist in predicting the clinical course of MS? Well, genetics influence most of the aspects of complex diseases. We know that genetics influence about 25% of your risk of getting MS. So up until now, we've not been sure how much genetics will play a role in progression of the disease because it's very hard to measure um, a disease progression in MS and therefore it's very hard to determine what drives that progression. But um, we hypothesise, as have others, that genetics, if they play such a role, large role in the onset of MS, then they probably play a large role in how people respond um, to having the disease, and that was the basis of the study. And that's important because genetics indicate you know, which genes are involved, indicate which pathways are involved, and therefore potentially open up areas of exploration for other treatments which may alter the rate of progression. And in this study we've presented, the genetic variants actually explained about 30, a third of the risk of progression of MS in the cohort that we studied. So it's a significant thing, um, and it may provide us with pathways by which we can treat progression and slow or slow down the rate of change for people with MS. And um, when thinking about sort of evaluating that clinical course of, of MS, as you just described, um, using genetic studies, what sort of challenges can, can pop up when, when thinking about that sort of thing? Well, one of the problems is that MS is an extremely variable disorder. You know, between individuals and within an individual, your rate of change can vary significantly. Therefore, to get a good understanding of the rate of progression of people with MS, you need to follow them for a significant period of time. You can't answer these questions with a six-month or a 12-month study. And the study we reported on followed people from five for five years from their first episode suggestive of MS, called an FDE or a clinically isolated syndrome, to their five-year follow-up. And in that case, not all people are converted to MS, but the majority had, and, the, and it allowed enough time for people to define their trajectory of progression. So time is one of the major things. And that is really difficult because following a group of patients for um, that period of time requires very intensive study, great resilience by the researchers and also great resilience by the participants because you're seeing these people repeatedly. But that is the only way that you can understand how anything influences progression, be it genetic, environmental, personal uh, factors, drugs even. You just don't know when, um, if you don't follow them for long enough. So it's, easy to, it's easier to study onset because you just take people with MS and people who don't have MS and you compare them. But when you're studying progression, you've got to follow these people longitudinally and preferably prospectively to get an idea of what contributes to their progression. So, so with your study, I mean, thinking about that sort of challenge and following up patients long term, was mm -hmm. your study able to sort of circumnavigate that and tackle that challenge? Yes, well, this is a, a long-standing study which we started in 2000 and uh, we recruited the people between 2003 and 2006 in Australia and we actually set out to recruit everyone who had their first episode um, in four geographically distinct areas and from, we've been able to follow those people and we're just about to complete the 10-year follow-up on these people um, and we've been able to retain them uh, about 85% of the original cohort in the study which is an outstanding 
effort in its own right over 10 years and we'd expect that we'll get a lot more information from this cohort as time goes by. But it really, it's taken a lot of time and a lot of money. Being fund- we were funded by initially by the National MS Society of the US and now by the Australian National Health and Medical Research Council. And you need that sort of level of funding to be able to follow these codes longitudinally. So it's, um, it's a very expensive undertaking to establish such a cohort and continue to follow it. Definitely. I mean, thinking about the results of your particular cohort study, were you able to identify specific individual genes or specific genes associated with the course of MS? Um, not particularly. We looked at, you know, there, there's a big problem also when you start thinking about how many genes you're going to study because of multiple testing burden. And we took the 110 um, genes which were recognised by the International MS Genetics Consortium as being associated with MS. And that means that any time you've got to divide your p-value by 110, so if you want 0.05, you've got to divide it by 110 to get the significance. So in a cohort study, it's actually with low numbers as we had, um, only 127 people in the cohort contributed to this data, it's actually very, very hard to find individual genes. So what we argued was that it is likely to be that um, progression is polygenic in that multiple genes affect your risk of progression, affect your risk of relapse, because no one's ever been able to find a single gene which is associated with any of these things. So we argued that it would be polygenic. And so we used a, um, a genetic risk score where you add up the effects of all the, you know, the top eight genes which reach nominal significance. And from that was where we found that this was a polygenic process and highly statistically significant. You predict so much of the risk of getting MS and so much of the risk of having a relapse and so much of the risk of having a, um, a conversion to MS. So no, we can't specifically say any single gene reached genome wide significance except for one of the HLA genes which was HLA-B404 uh, which was on, a, on one particular statistical analysis associated with the protection against um, relapse. The striking finding I suppose when I'm thinking about that and the sort of polygenic um, and sort of mm. composite genetic risk score yep. um, that you mm. just described is that um, you found evidence of different risk profiles associated yep. with um, disability compared to the actual conversion to MS and relapse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, potentially, as your paper suggests, this is potentially um, evidence for the fact that these processes are driven by independent genetic mm. pathways. So how does that fit with the current literature? It's quite an interesting finding, and, and your sort of paper mentions that this remains controversial, so I just wondered how so. Well, this adds support to the theory that they are different, um, significant support to the theory that there are different processes, because when you look at people with primary progressive MS and people with uh, relapsing remitting MS, there are significant differences between them in their, um, in their, obviously in their clinical course, their outcomes, their male-female ratio, their, their, their effect of latitude and other environmental factors on these conditions. And even if you suppress completely relapses with medication, you don't necessarily uh, affect the rate of progression. Therefore, you can treat one compound part of the condition but you don't affect the other and that is thought to be the case but not absolutely proven and there are some studies which indicate that if you reduce the number of relapses you reduce the rate of progression but it's certainly not conclusively shown that these processes are dependent and what we've shown through this study is that they may be independent in the genetics and that you might the genetics may play a risk have a role in your risk of getting inflammatory disease and that risk may be different from the genetics that increase your risk of progression and that um, is 
actually quite important because if we're looking to treat or cure MS, we need to be looking at how to treat both inflammation and neurodegeneration. And those pathways may not be the same. I mean, that sort of brings me back to, to my last question, I suppose, going full circle um, back to, you know, with um, these study results in mind, that genetic risk variants are potentially independent. Um, how mm. can these genetics potentially assist in predicting the clinical course of MS? Well, that's a very important question. Right now, what we need is validation of what we have done. This is very difficult work. It requires a large cohort. And what we'd hope in the future is that when you're seeing someone with MS as a, a doctor who treats people with MS and the person, you can actually say, well, we need to test these genetic f factors. And depending on the results of those, we'll determine to a certain degree what your future holds. It gives you prognostic information. And if you've got a bad genetic profile in your MS, it's very similar to what happens with people with breast cancer, then you need different treatment. And if you've got a good genetic profile, you may be much happier to use less intense treatment, observation, things like that. So understanding the genetics of MS clinical course is incredibly important because it offers an opportunity to be able to counsel people about what their prognosis holds, make more effective and better treatment choices. But I would emphasize that this still needs validation. It still needs to be shown in other cohorts to be the correct answers because there's still a possibility that our what we found is not going to be replicated or validated in other studies and that's always the caveat with this sort of work. Absolutely so it sounds like I mean they've got potential for sort of personalized yes. um, treatment plans for particular patients so long as it's further work is done to validate the results currently found in your paper. That's absolutely correct the idea there's a buzzword of the our decade is personalized medicine and this is what we believe is really important. It's going to be a major player in MS in, in the future. And this is, it's, what, if you like, one of the first steps towards being able to do that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Bruce, and for walking me through your results of your paper published in the JNMP. Okay, thank you very much. So that was Professor Bruce Taylor from the Menzies Institute for Medical Research from the University of Tasmania. And his paper is available for free download um, on the jnmp.bmj.com. And thank you very much for joining us today.